I'm Stefan Sittig, and welcome to American Theatre Artists Online, where we talk with leading contemporary figures in American theatre. If you've been enjoying the American Theatre Artists Online podcast, I urge you to consider donating to help the artists who produce the theatre that we all love so much. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, Many performers, designers, directors, choreographers, stage crew, and theater administration staff are either without a job or in peril of losing their jobs. The Actors Fund provides assistance to artists to cover basic living expenses, such as food, essential medications, utilities, and more. If you love and enjoy theater, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. Alone many a year, I've taught myself to disappear. Time out of mind, and since I've been the one that's left behind, I thought this time I'd met my match. Such luck was never mine to catch, and here I am again, to solitude resigned. What to know? What next? Your tongue, breathe in, breathe out. Don't let your thoughts be known. What to know? What next? Find your way and make a path for you and you alone. What to know? What Past is present, present tense is not without expense Where's the pen? Who writes the text? What now? What next? My guests today are Matt Connor and Stephen Gregory Smith who describe themselves as modern musical theatre writers who explore the darker side of human nature while searching for the light. The Washington Post has called them the most prolific writers of musicals in the Washington area who consistently get their work produced. Their collaboration has resulted in nine full-length musicals, including Night of the Living Dead, the musical, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, The Turn of the Screw, Monsters of the Villa Diodati, Kaleidoscope, Witch, and On Air. Several of their works were commissioned by Creative Cauldron as part of their Bold New Works initiative. And their latest project is a new musical based on the story of the five women that Jack the Ripper killed, called White Chapel. Both Matt and Stephen were nominated together for the Helen Hayes Award for directing their musical, The Turn of the Screw, and each has also received the award individually. They are currently delighting theater aficionados with their podcast, The Connor and Smith Show, interviewing DC creatives and exploring their past and future works. Hi, Matt. Hi, Stephen. How are you? We're good. Thank you for being on American Theatre Artists Online. I'm very excited to talk to you today. We're excited to be here. Yeah. Happy Pride. Happy Yay. Pride to you. <laughs> I figure since we're three gay men in a room bitching, or three gay men podcasting, uh, <laughs> that we would talk a bit about Pride and talk a bit about, um, obviously, the wonderful work that you guys have been doing in the Washington area and elsewhere. Um, you know... Um, the Washington Post has called you, quote, the most prolific writers of musicals in the Washington area who consistently get their work produced. That's pretty amazing. 
very, very lucky to have that quote. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Isn't it great? And so you guys have been working for a long time together now and you've known each other together uh, for a while and you're also partners in life. So there's a lot of interesting stuff to talk about and, and a lot of musicals and uh, theatrical works and involvements with a lot of different theater companies from Creative Cauldron to Signature and beyond. And both of you are accomplished Helen Hayes Award winning uh, performers on your own and directors in your own right, and then also together. And now you have a podcast. So there's a lot to talk about. So before we dive into all of those things, how is this? Uh, how are you holding up? It's been a, a rough year and a half for all of us in the theater. What have you guys been doing to keep yourselves sane and busy? Well, it's, it's funny. I think uh, me and Stephen have always sort of created together for so long that when we were trapped in the house together for so long, we literally had projects to do. And one of the projects was we were we were, we were still writing together, so we did have that. We actually had a, a couple of Zoom readings with a, a theater, um, and I began teaching online. And all of a sudden, I was teaching 35 classes per week. Oh, wow. uh, in Zoom, and um, Stephen, of course, was Zooming in his day job downstairs, so he completely converted the house to look like a Staples. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and everyone, you know, buy the ring light, buy this, what do I do for this? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we figured it out together. Like, we, of course, had some moments. We, I don't think we were designed to spend every moment together for a year. So we did find ways of, you know, um, Stephen likes his movies and I like my movies, but we we got through it and we started learning a lot of different things. I would say that we are a constant because he's an earth sign and I'm a water sign. We joke the mud, but that's kind of creative (laughs) what we do. We kind of blend. We make clay pots. Exactly. And I think that when Matthew and I spend time together creatively, which is almost always, um, things get done. Like, you know, we, we write, we create shows, we create uh, lots of things. And so forcing us to be 24-7 together with each other for a year and a half has yielded many things. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's because it's just the kind of relationship that we have back and forth that we're, we always joke that he's a Mac and I'm a PC um, in the way that we process things and the way that we... Um, look at the world or communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not, it's, we're very opposite on many things, but that opposition is what leads to questions is which leads to conversations and then, you know, exploration of subjects. Our, our latest show that was produced on air about, um, the radio in Pittsburgh, the, the first radio station, the first radio station in Pittsburgh, we actually, during the pandemic, turned that into a radio play that could be listened to, and that took a took up a chunk of our time to figure out how that was going to work, mm-hmm. how it was going to be paid for. Mm-hmm. And we wrote a new musical with Synetic. We wrote a new musical with Synetic, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, so we, we, we were... And we started a podcast. Yeah, we did, right. we did that in enjoy- but I will say I have fell in love more and more each day with my puppies because they were such wonderful therapists to be with at, at this time. And you have two puppies, right? What are their names? We have two pugs. They are half brothers. Hmm. And one is Edgar Allan Pug. <laughs> Eddie for short. Eddie for short. And then we have Lord Byron, who is also just Bye Byes or Boom Baba. 
<laughs> they all get nicknames, don't they? It's wonderful. But um, I mean, I think it's great that your dogs are named that because I was going to ask you a bit about the work that you do and sort of the inspiration of the musicals that you guys write together. Uh, and, and just the names of your pets say a lot uh, about what inspires you both. Now, who is who's the crazy one that's crazy? Who's the one that's crazy about, um, you know, horror, supernatural? Because a lot of the shows have his suspense uh, that theme that you guys write together, um, is it both of you in different ways or is it one of you or the other one goes along? Who's, who's the, the person that's, that likes that kind of stuff? Um, I would have to claim guilt on that. Uh, <laughs> Steven. I, I, I've just always, since I was young, um, my, my dad and I used to watch all the like afternoon horror films on like TBS or whatever, you know, and Mm -hmm. he would tell me stories about going to the drive-in movies when he was a kid and seeing all of these films. And it was just always a thing that my dad brought to me. My dad showed me the movie Night of the Living Dead, I think when I was nine years old, which is really highly inappropriate. (laughs) But but I'm glad he did it because it changed my life. Um, and it made me kind of look at things in a different way. I wouldn't say a negative way. It, I mean, Night of the Living Dead, P.S., was our first musical that we wrote together. Mm-hmm. Um, because from a child, I was obsessed with it. And then I said, you know, I really have this crazy idea. Mm-hmm. And then that became a thing. Um, but, but yeah, Matthew, you're, you're more into like history, yeah, I think I'm drawn to history a lot. I think I'm drawn a lot to um, sort of, uh, I don't want to say the, the Cirque du Soleil world, mm. but I definitely I definitely see things through movement and motion. Yes. And well, and you were for many years prior, I mean, well, I want to say for many years, you were, you were a writer uh, before being a writer-composer, I mean, or did you always do it together? You also, I know you as a performer, dancer, singer, actor so you're always was that always there or did you do the two things in parallel you were at Shenandoah right I I, I taught myself how to play the piano at the age of eight after eight months of piano Mm. and then I went to school and had a minor in it and so I learned everything backwards because I could already play play the piano but now I'm being taught like chord progressions and structures that I didn't know the names to I'm like oh that's a C7 ooh I didn't know that um and now when I teach my kids piano, I have a, a versatility about me that I can either be uh, sort of the Academia Levine school in uh, the book, or I can take a little more creative approach if any of my kids want to be composers, and I have several of them uh, as, as students already. Um, but no, I, I was the guy still in college that if there was a keyboard, I would make up songs and be like, bum, 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 bum. There was a man, bum, 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 bum. And I'd make up songs about the teachers and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I was never really a writer, although um, when I was younger, I did write and sort of help produce the Christmas and Easter pageants at my church. Uh-huh. <laughs> Um, so in a weird way, there was already some sort of un, there was some sort of raw footage in me somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, now you both I, you both went right now. I, I didn't know this, but Stephen, you also are a graduate of Shenandoah University, right? Right, right. Wow, did you guys meet yeah. there? Yeah, we met there. We were friends there before we became uh, enemies. 
<laughs> frenemies. Uh, so you were friends before you became romantically involved many years later. Yes. And I think that's one of the reasons me and Stephen, you know, still work is we have many different, we have a lot of versatility in our relationship in the sense of we were friends, we are writing partners, we've been performers, we know how to work backstage and not be husbands backstage. We, mm-hmm. we are, we have many different, um, compartments to us as a team. Right. And that probably helped both of you get through this period as well, because if you know each other really well and you have a a relationship of many years, even as friends prior to to being romantically linked, then when you are romantically linked, if a pandemic happens and it's a year, you know, it's hard to be, like you said, in the close quarters together, but you each know how to give each other your space. Yeah. I mean, if there's a moment that we are, you know, disagreeing about something, we've got our writing that we've got to take Mm -hmm. care of. (laughs) You know, we've got other avenues that's like, okay, here we go. Mm -hmm. And and Um, so how, let's, let's dive in a bit on how you actually put these shows together. This is what everyone always wants to know. You know, I saw all these uh, interviews with Kander and Ab who are my favorites and, 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 and how, how, what comes first? The music or the lyrics? That's the dumb question that every, every interviewer always asks. Or how do you go about writing a new musical? You know, uh, and how do you collaborate together to create these wonderful pieces? You know, it never works one consistent way, I would say. Mm. It, it, it's never... Um, and it depends on who has the lead on the show. Who's got the, the, the bigger idea for the show. Mm. There's always one of us that's a little the leader on a certain show based on interest level or based on an obsession or whatever. Um, and then the other helps course correct and shift and kind of, you know, but there's, there's times when Matthew has written lyrics or written parts of books. There's times when I have said, Oh, I hear something like, and I'll play something on the piano and then he'll make it better. Um, but we're constantly trying to basically uplift each other's effort so that it goes back and forth like a seesaw until it finds the balance we want it to uh sometimes i'll know a there there has to be this type of song i need a torch torchy ballad this is like you know the 11 o'clock number for on air um and i needed something for nora palka to express her feelings as her husband is dying and so I need to get that kind of feel. I'm like, okay, it wants to sound like it's the child of these three songs, except it's our own. And, you know, and then Matt will start to play with some music and I'll just try to write in a meter that I know it will fit in. And somehow between, you know, many different sheets of paper, we recycle. Um <laughs> there starts to take shape something yeah we could talk about each project forever for instance we wrote a peter pan for creative cauldron years ago that literally we had an idea for one song and we finished the entire score of 12 songs in one evening one night wow now now, perhaps it's not good. No, it's actually. <laughs> I will say if it, if something's not good, I'm not actually really proud of that because it was like it was as if Stepin that we were on cocaine or something like right, that. Right, you got it all out. It, it's but but like that feeling of like oh no oh no yes and and this and this. If we had coke, we could have written this sequel. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You're in three. 
But so but, I mean, you have a basis because then really 90% of the work is refining and editing and changing and putting together, right? I mean, once you have that, if you got it all written, then it's, then the work begins, right? Absolutely. And, and we've gotten to a place now where we are not scared about failing anymore or being judged. If someone says, I don't like something, we now are like, cooks in the kitchen with lots of jars of different ingredients and different spices and we are just out there just okay here we go we've done this before mm -hmm. um and if we end up not liking it that's okay yeah, yeah and there, there are shows that i like over some of the other shows but i i also understand that each show that you're writing is a product of your life when you were writing it the the cultural zeitgeist when you were writing it like um and, and, you know, there was a, this is a good story of us writing a song. There's a, our first pug, his name was Buddha, and he passed away in 2015 mm -hmm. in the middle of us writing the show Monsters of the Villa Diodati. Now, Monsters concerns a very famous summer in 1816 where Lord Byron, uh, Percy Shelley, Mary Shelley, among others, were vacationing in uh, on Lake Geneva. And so it's... Rehoboth. <laughs> not, <laughs> Pretty much um, and of course, Frankenstein and the vampire come out of that summer. Um, mm. So anyway, mm. the I, we were writing this and it's, oh God, it, it was the most difficult show I've ever written and also the most rewarding because how do you write for literary giants? You know, it's a very difficult thing. So mm. our, our dog passes away and I'm doing the show Oliver at Arena Stage. And I'm an adult in Oliver, which if any of you have done Oliver or seen Oliver, you have lots of downtime. Yeah. Um, and so I was writing whenever I was not on stage. Um, and that, that remained the case all through when I was still performing. I always would write backstage. Um, mm. The ener energy of being in a theater is always great atmosphere to write in. Mm. And I knew I had to keep writing and there was this song that was to open the second act um, and Matthew said uh, I keep forgetting and remembering that Buddha's dead mm. and I, I just thought exactly I felt exactly the same way and I thought that's exactly the sentiment Mary Shelley needs to have this this moment and sing so I just wrote on a piece of paper forgetting and remembering and then I put it on my station and I stared at it and nothing would come and then I had to go do a scene and then I came back and I wrote one line and that's all I could do and then I went and did a scene then I came back and wrote two more lines mm. and you get it by the end of the show I had the full lyrics of the song I brought it home to Matthew and what was it 20 minutes later the song was there wow. I mean it's just one of those things that we couldn't like we had to keep working, even though we were grief stricken, which was exactly what Mary Shelley was dealing with for most of her life. So we kind of just turned what we were feeling into art, into this song, forgetting and remembering that is still one of my favorite songs because it, it captures perfectly grief. Um, yeah. And if you in the audience can identify with that and feel like, oh my God, that's exactly what it feels like to grieve, it's a, a connection and it's a moment where you feel not so alone in your thoughts and you feel that universal humanity of love and loss. And mm -hmm. yeah. 
And, and what, is it, what is it that Carrie Fisher said? Take your broken heart and turn it into art. Yep. That's a beautiful story, uh, Stephen. That's, that's a great way of explaining uh, how some of the inspiration comes. But okay, so you, you opened the door there, Stephen, when you talked a bit about, well, I have shows that I don't like and, and, and some that I like more. You mentioned that. So I'm going to now go down this road. Of all the musicals that you've created together, and I want each of you, Matt, you go first, and then Stephen, uh, which one is the most meaningful to you, if you have one that you could pick, and why? You can't pick the same one. <laughs> go ahead, Matt. Um, I think the most meaningful one that me and Stephen have written together, I guess out of our bold new work that was produced at Creative Cauldron, five shows in five years, yeah. Um, I'm going to go with the Monsters of the Villa Diodati. That was uh, such a great tribute to uh, Mary Shelley and Lord Byron in that whole summer. Uh, it's really great music. The way that we found sort of the, the sexuality of the piece in that period. Mm. Um, each character had its own different voice, like... Um, um, Mary Shelley, of course, was more of like a, a classical sound. Lord Byron was all rock and roll sound. Um, so they all had different genres kind of around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, there was something about writing about writers being together and me and Stephen being writers together felt like we were kind of harnessing and channeling them. We also have a music supervisor and great collaborator collaborator named Warren Freeman. He now lives in New York. He was here in DC, but he basically um, is our genius orchestrator and uh, vocal arranger. So when we have an idea that needs to be, needs to sound more like a forties or thirties thing, he's the person to go to and is a mastermind at at sending us something back and say, this is what you did, but I added a, a boom chaka chaka. Mm-hmm. And does he also orchestrate for when you do a full production? Is he the same one you go to to, to expand? Because I imagine you compose on piano or well, yes. I, I guess piano. And then he, 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 he turns that melody and that what's on the sheet of paper into like the charts for all the, the instruments. Yeah, he arranges all of the singers' uh, wow. chart and all of the musicians. And he's a part of us forever until we break up in some way. But uh, he's currently worked on, I guess, uh, Sleepy Hollow. This, uh, we've done it with the children's thing. We've probably done, and what we used to do for fundraisers at Signature, we probably have done maybe 25, 30 projects together. Wow. Mm-hmm. So that's wonderful. So you picked that one, Matt. Um, Steven, which one do you do you have more of an affinity towards? I would say our latest on air. Hmm. Um, it's set in Pittsburgh, which is close to where I grew up. Um, I love the 20s. Um, I love the musical style of the 20s. And I love radio. Um, and I love vintage radio. And it encapsulates all those things. And and there's just something about the Pennsylvania of it all that I just adore. Um, <laughs> and it's also the excitement of a couple creating something that is growing and getting bigger than them and leaving their little house. And that's kind of me and Matt. So Mm. I kind of see us a lot in the Conrad family who live like one of the relatives of this Frank Conrad lives like five minutes down the street from us. And we found that out during the run of the show when he just came to see it. Oh wow! Uh, So yeah, that's a very fun 
little anecdote, but on air is, is my choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we're, we're going more with that production that happened already. We changed it for the radio play, and now we're talking about maybe if we if this uh, project goes further, we might actually add another idea into the play that was like, oh, wait, we can actually make this thing even better. Mm-hmm. Not better, but maybe bigger. Well, I mean, a musical is never truly finished, ah. you know? That's, I mean, Stephen Sondheim was making changes to Sweeney Todd when it was at the, the Kennedy Center during the Sondheim Festival. Mm-hmm. He changed. Yeah. Each new production brings something different, right? And then, and even and someone like him, and I suspect you guys as well, work on, you're, you're constantly tweaking or changing or finding another, another way to do something. Well, I always thought that Sweeney needed a little work. <laughs> that, that, I mean, come yeah. on. <laughs> With that that genius score, <laughs> what a fresh oh. fresh view there, Matt. No, but I mean, yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. It, I, I hear you, Stephen. It's a craft, right? And it's never ending. And I, you know, my mother's a painter, and I constantly see her creating these art, these works of art. And then I'm like, oh my god, that's beautiful. And then I'll come back the next day. She goes, nah, I changed it all, and I painted. Something. And I'm like, what are you doing? She and of course, the next thing she made was even better. So you know, it's really the the mind of an artist, right? You're constantly tweaking putting it together well yeah and there's there's you know i discovered the, the the show's penultimate moment deals with the first radio broadcast which was the election night of 1920 mm. which in itself is just fun history but then i i figured out some more stuff about the first broadcast baseball game and i thought gosh i want that scene so yeah there's there's nothing's ever finished and it's it's always evolving. It's everything's awaiting the next production, right? Right. And so, um, how do you work when you collaborate? So, a lot of times, you know, both of you come from a background of, I, I think, aside from music, also you were performers. Or I knew you as performers prior to 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 you coming together and writing musicals together, um, and. Um, so you have that under your belt and you understand what it's like to be an actor on stage. But now, how did you fully transition to this, this world? Or have you fully transitioned? It sounds like, uh, Stephen, you're still performing as well and writing in tandem. But how do you collaborate then when you have a piece that you've written and then you do, do you direct all your pieces yourselves or do you hand, have you had to hand them over to a director or a creative team and been like, okay, be careful with my baby? I mean, how do you... How do you, what is a good collaborative experience for you guys and how, how does that work? Well, thus far, all of our productions at Cauldron and our on-air radio play were directed by us. Uh, there was two productions of Night of the Living Dead, one in New York City and one in St. Louis that was not directed by us. And usually if we are directing, it's usually a budget financial discussion. Mm-hmm. Of not, of not exactly, you know, trying to figure out how to make the show happen without it not happening. Right. Um, but I think, I think in our world, I always use this uh, analogy, but I think for us, it's the difference between rain, snow, sleet, and fog. You know, for us, it all comes from the same place, just in different forms. Mm. So... When I'm writing, I'm not writing for myself. I'm also saying to myself, gosh, if this doesn't make sense to me as an actor, uh, I'm not only just composing, I'm also kind of, you know, journeying through as if this is me in the show. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know me, and also our music supervisor, Warren, also comes from a performance background. He's done three first national tours at, mm-hmm. uh, 
from the Broadway, and he's currently getting his doctorate, uh, and he teaches uh, at NYU. So the three of us kind of are this ref this little um, rock tumbler that we put a rock inside to fight to smooth it out so it can be turned into a piece of jewelry because we see it from so many different lenses and we ask each other really really hard questions knowing that we have nothing to prove to each other when we when i say something about steven's book or he mentions and, and plays something for me on the piano none of us are fragile about that we just are doing it for the good of the show and will this make sense not only through our our, our actors but the audience are we telling too much or telling too little um i think it also helps us figure out if if we cannot direct the show there's problems with the show like how it's written and structured, mm. you know? So if we're trying, if we're the first ones to take a crack at it and see, gosh, this is impossible what we've done here. Okay. How can we fix it and make it better? Um, I think it's always interesting when people, friends of ours, not friends of ours, but I've heard people say, no, you two also direct your work almost like it's something that shouldn't be done. And I'm right. like, there is, there is a bit of that, right? There's a bit of that prejudice in, in the theater community. Not sure why uh, that directing your own material is somehow not a good idea, but Stephen just described why it is a good idea, right? Well, I mean, uh, there is a, yeah, we've heard that numerous times mm -hmm. and you I mean, know, you and then we've gotten nominated for our, our direction <laughs> of right. work. Yeah. So yeah. Good. Good. I was just going to say, do you not want Gucci in the photo shoot? <laughs> right. That's what, I, that's a good point. I mean, it's funny that, but I'm saying that's interesting that there is that prejudice. And I wonder why, I wonder where that comes from in the theater, because what Stephen just said a couple of minutes, seconds ago, about if we can't direct it, then we know we can go back and fix it because there's something not directable about it or it needs to be improved. What a wonderful way to see what needs to be improved in a piece. Yeah, and you know what? The, the, the structures that we have been brought up in in theater world, it's, you know, it's not insulting, but, you know, I remember one time when I wrote Nevermore for Signature Theater and... Um, Nick Blameyer was also working on a brand new piece at the time. And this, this uh, colleague from a nearby university basically threw up their hands and said, oh, Christ, is everybody writing a musical? Can everybody just write a musical? And I thought, mm. wow, well, who cares if every who cares if every child and every teen and every adult in the world is writing a musical? Right. It just, it doesn't take away anybody's happiness. It's right. not a competition. I mean, it... it, it yeah, I've learned, I've learned more from mean and insulting comments. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, I've got to bring up, since you've learned that, this is something you've always had. I remember you way back when we were performing at... Um, at Only Theater in West Side Story, and some you got a negative review for something that you did, and the reviewer wrote two were uh, wrote that you were frivolous and you reminded them of Squiggy. So the first thing you did was take a little post-it note and you wrote frivolous Squiggy on your little mirror and you had it there every night and you were laugh at it. And I thought to myself, that takes that's someone who is who has a thick skin. Well, I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that great? I mean, but that's what you just described right now. It's like, screw you. If you're going to be mean and nasty, awesome. Great. Bring it. I'll use it as fuel to go on to my next thing. Because, you know, we're all human and we're all working here in this, this, this world of creativity and trying to, you know, when you write a musical, I can't think of anything more exposing than writing a musical and putting that out there, your music, your lyrics, your heart, 
on the table. And so why not take care of it and direct it yourself the first time around to kind of get an idea of, of, of how it works and whether it works or not? Well, look, it's another way of being like intimate with the thing that you've created to make sure that like, okay, so this is this on the page. This is this in the, the rehearsal room. This is this on the stage with light and, you know, props and costumes. It, it's just another way to figure out what what needs what else needs to happen to you are you good do you need to can you walk now okay it's like raising a child exactly exactly and once they're out in the world there then maybe you're okay to go see a production of it later on after you've done your your bit and you've kind of polished it and gotten it to where you feel like it can walk and and fly then you can go see another production of of whatever the show is right have you done that and 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 maybe be a little less um worried about it absolutely i mean i wish we could have made it to st louis to see the night of the living dead out there um but we it just wouldn't fit in our schedule but i also knew they were in good hands. Mm-hmm. I knew that the, the people doing it were fantastic and that the show was solid. And I, you know, it was so fun to see reviews and clips and photos and go, Oh, the kids out there doing good, you know, mm-hmm. and be, be not nervous about it, you know? So now you have this relationship with creative cauldron. Uh, uh, you've had it for a while. Several of your works um, were commissioned um, as part of this bold new works initiative, remind me, was it five musicals in five years? Is that what I heard? Yes. So explain how that worked. <laughs> well, I, I have been with Creative Cauldron since the beginning, yeah. 20 years ago. Yes, I remember, Matt. You were involved way back when. Yeah. And so Laura had this idea. Laura is the artistic producing director. Um, and she had this idea to do five shows in five years. And she had first thought about me and Stephen maybe doing one. Mm. And amongst talking amongst ourselves over and over again, we finally kind of came to the conclusion that we were going to just take the challenge and do all five. Wow. And so and, uh, which one? So which one were the five that you all did together? And in, in, so one year after another, five years in a row. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. Um, the first one was Turn of the Screw, mm-hmm. and that was uh, Laura. That was her idea for us to write. The second one was Monsters of the Villa Diodati. The third one was Kaleidoscope. It was a musical into the window of Alzheimer's, which which was actually brought to us by Flo Lacey. She wanted to do Mm. and star in a piece about Alzheimer's. Mm. Um, The fourth piece was Witch, which was loosely inspired on the Women's March. Um, and then the fifth one was on air, uh, the first uh, radio station in Pittsburgh. And am I wrong that someone at some point tried a musical version of The Turn of the Screw many decades ago and it, it flopped? Am I wrong? Yeah, yeah. There's been attempts. Uh, there's been a successful opera. Uh-huh. Um it's a great story, right? Everyone loves that story. And there was a movie or several movies, I think, made it. But I remember it as a child uh, seeing that movie with my mom. And, but what, what it, how was your approach to the musical? What did you, how did you approach Turn of the Screw? Well, I think that me and Stephen writing horror, Stephen, of course, mm-hmm. is the horror aficionado. Yes. But I find that we have found that 
when you're writing a, a, a mysterious piece, I think a lot of people overwrite the mystery because you have to remember that the audience needs to be in on this mysterious ride. If you keep giving them uh, answers, it, 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 they will, they'll be ahead of you. And I think that's something that we, we really played with a lot was to, to, that was a very fine dance. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that, Stephen? Because we really didn't want to tell too much because, you know, at the end of it, there is a big question mark of like, what happened? Mm-hmm. But that's the thing. And, you know, some audience members might say, oh, my God, I'm, I am I just don't, I, I need a conclusion or an answer. And you're like, well, the book doesn't have a conclusion no, or yeah. an answer. No, I would say that was, um, that show, I remember it pissed a lot of people off. Um like really uh, vehemently people were upset um, but but that's the brilliance of Henry James writing in the story that was not our adaptation that was that's the way it goes and you know the I think there's so much beauty in there is no correct answer folks and that's that's life in general there's no set way to do you know, anything it's it's everyone's own individual interpretation and so i couldn't get into that story at all i read the book and the book has old english and you know it's just i was i was having a hard time until and i watched a few different adaptations none of them did any good mm-hmm. and then uh then i went to laura and i said i'm not finding a way in um i'm you know if i can't get excited about it i can't write it Sure. Um, and then she said, "You need to watch the black and white film, The Innocence, starring Deborah Kerr." Oh, uh, Debra- yes. And that, of course, give me a black and white film, and then I'm like totally into it. Mm-hmm. I I watched that and was like, I get it now. Mm-hmm. I get it. And I just updated the setting of the story to write around the uh, late. Oh God, I'm gonna forget. It's, it's going from Victorian to, what was the next one? Or was it? Yeah, I guess going into the uh, 19, late teens before the 20s. Yes. So it's like things are starting to change very, it's on that cusp. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so is Miles in his, uh, the, the son. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's all on the cusp of adulthood, not yet. Mm-hmm. Almost there so teaming those two things just kind of got me okay i can i can dust this house off and it doesn't have to be so ancient um yeah and so you both were nominated together for the helen hayes right for directing that you both directed the musical together yeah so what was that like co-directing the show so you create the show that's one thing and you've already talked a bit about how you get into that but then when you're directing the show together how does one of you take the lead do you sort of each do a little bit of everything how how do you collaborate together when you're directing because co-directing is hard in any scenario uh there's a there's a series about it it's called fossey verdon verdon <laughs> <laughs> who was fossey and who was verdon <laughs> well, it, 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 we, we've basically flip-flop because there's times when Stephen needs to take the lead. Stephen's a little bit more linear. Is that the right word? I don't yeah, know. Maybe. Uh, a little bit more um, 
Yeah, I would say I'm more linear. Linear. I'm more emotional. So there's times when we're trying to find a moment. If it happens to be a, a movement moment or something that needs to sound like something, I'm there to kind of give my advice or my opinion with a lowercase o of what I think should be done. And if it's something that it needs to be a very hard uh uh, language or hard setting or whatever that that's Stephen's uh, forte but we both can morph in and out of those areas so sometimes we both know when to be the star and we also when to be in the ensemble mm. which kind of comes back to when you're you know in a show of knowing when to lead or when to follow yeah um, but yeah, we were co-directors, but you know, we used to have this joke when we were doing a show at Shenandoah, we were doing a show at Shenandoah University, we were basically rewriting the signatures version of The Hollow, which we've now mm -hmm. changed to uh, The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, we have our own version, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, it's sort of like the Old Testament and the New Testament, this one's going to be the New Testament, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I guess it started at college. But anyways, we would get to a problem in, in the show where we had to fix. And we at the time, Stephen had, had a truck. And Stephen would say, we'll talk about it in the truck. <laughs> meaning, right. meaning, meaning we should probably fight about this like when no one's around. Not in front of the children. Right. So, yeah, you're going to do it later and talk on your way home or in a private moment. So uh, you mentioned water and air earlier and you talked about being linear. Stephen's more linear. So wait, so who's what sign? I thought you were. Are you Earth sign, Matt? Are you? Yes, I am Capricorn. Aha. And what are you, Stephen? Cancer. Ah, Cancer. Okay. Yeah, I'm an Earth sign, too. I'm a Virgo. So, um, and there are very few of us in theater, but, uh, so yeah, it's it, earth signs. We are, we're tough. We're very, we're, we're very practical usually, but it sounds like you guys both have elements of the other as well. Yeah. We're kind of like, um, a orbiting thing in space. We kind of keep our, our circles kind of wide and then we know when to come together and have a beautiful eclipse. <laughs> I love that. It's a great, a great way to picture it. So let's talk a bit now about, you know, we've talked just, you know, because this is such a, uh, uh, the podcast is such short, so short on time. I've got to sort of breeze through everything. I don't know. I'd love to talk much more about um, all the shows that you've worked on and are going to continue to work on. And we'll talk about some of the newer things coming up in a sec. But I wanted to shift a bit and talk about your podcast because now you have this new podcast, uh, The Connor and Smith Show, where you interview DC creatives and you explore their past and future works. Um, it's a lot of fun to listen to. What, uh, what made you two both kind of want to start a podcast? Was this something you started during the pandemic? Yes, definitely. Well, we had talked about it like pre-pandemic. Pre-pandemic, Stephen had bought a book about like you know podcasts for dummies or I don't know po podcasts for smarties. It was something. It was a podcast journal. A podcast journal where you write and say, "I wish you, you develop your thoughts and ideas." Yeah. It, it's it's an exercise book, but it helped. But then you found the app. Oh yeah, then I found I was listening to something another podcast, of course. And there was an ad for Anchor FM. And I was like, oh, you know, I have a nice new fancy cell phone. I'm sure, you know, before I did, I had an old phone that was like, I can't do any apps. The phone will not support one more thing. You had to crank it to call Alexandria. Yeah. Oh, um, right. Yeah. So you can't do it with that. 
then we got the fancy phone and it was like, you know what? I'm like immortal, invincible now with this new phone. That's how you feel, you know? And I downloaded the app and I just thought, okay, how hard is this going to be? And I just like for, you know, shits and giggles went downstairs and just put together a few segments and was like, Oh, listen to this, Matt. This is how easy it is. Yeah. And then we tried it out and boom, we decided to call it the Connor Smith show. Cause we eventually are going to turn this into some sort of local cable access. <laughs> show. <laughs> the cover, the cover for the app has that feel, which, so I, that's where you're, you're heading. I mean, it's great. It's a great, lot of show, fun show. You also do on air crafting while you're interviewing. Uh, there's wine, there's crafting and the people you interview and you've chosen to interview are from all walks of life. So you don't just interview theater people. You're interviewing. Uh, I saw that you interviewed Sue Palka, the famous uh, D- uh, DC meteorologist, um, legendary DC meteorologist, really, since I was a kid. Uh, and and so what? I mean, what was the impetus? Was it just that you guys wanted to spend more time together? <laughs> you know, it's funny. We were asked to to give a message to a local high school for the graduating class, and we made a message about you know, loving every version of you that comes along. And we realized while we were writing this message to for others that we were actually kind of speaking to ourselves about how many versions of us there have been. And they don't always end with a discussion about Sweeney Todd. There's, you know, Stephen used to be a dog walker. I used to be a waiter. And we've all had these million of d- different hats. And in, and in some way, they're all based in creativity, either how to make the job creative if it's not already, or how to make how to enjoy the creativity if it is and we find that in like so many different walks of life that we wanted to embrace that with others Mm. it shows in your show when i'm listening to your your podcast it's really uh it feels like i'm just sort of hiding in the living room of of your house and kind of listening in or listening with a cup on the on the wall to sort of what you guys are talking to about with your friends it's really a very um homey feeling show i hope you, you know what i mean by that it just feels very natural yeah, we wanted it to feel like you were in our living room. Perfect. Like it's because we're in our living room. Right. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, you've achieved it. And so let me let me shift a bit then to a question that I've been thinking about as this podcast has been going on and listening to the two of you and how you talk off of each other and kind of complement each other as you're speaking and adding to the, the story of, you know, of what's going on in, in this interview. Um when was the moment? Because you guys know, knew each other before, right? You knew each other at Shenandoah University. You knew each other as actors in the D.C. area. I assume I'm getting this right, if not correct me. Um, when was the moment and where was it when you both looked at each other and went, oh. Um, I would say that I chased Matt before Matt was ready to be chased. Oh, um, and then I think I would like to think that we both – always were headed there. It was just going to take time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when it did happen, it was just kind of inevitable. But Matt, what's your take? Well, I think everyone personally has a, a very uh, individual journey with being uh, a homosexual. And I think seeing yourself gay is a one journey and then seeing yourself with someone else in some sort of committed relationship is another because they're, uh, you know, all we know growing up or a lot of people know growing up is your parents and you don't 
quite see yourself as your parents. So figuring that out, I think, took a longer time for me because I did not know exactly where I fit in the community, even though I was, you know, out, I guess you could say. Um, you still don't quite know what that means and what's in store. Mm. I don't think there was one moment, but a succession of moments. That's yeah. wonderful. And I mean, I, I totally empathize with, with both of you in different ways. And I, and I Matt, totally hear what you're saying, maybe because we're close in age. But I, you know, it is sort of like, because I'm gay, you know, uh, those of us that grew up maybe in, in the 70s and 80s, you know, where it was kind of accepted, but not really. And so, you know, you kind of never imagined that you could be in a long term partnership with someone or be married. That was never something that I at least thought was doable. So then I thought, well, screw it. I'm not doing that. I'm going to do something else. And then suddenly the possibility is there with gay marriage and, 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 and the move towards more and more uh, equal rights for, for gay people uh, to be just like straight people if they want to, and yet not, right? But so, I mean, I think it's really fascinating, Matt, that you talk about trying to find as an adult gay man, sort of where do you fit in, in that? Yeah, I mean, and it, and it definitely, well, I mean, Stephen, I'm, I'm 51, and Stephen, you are 42. 42, so that's uh, nine years, eight years, depending on your birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, There's a so decade between you, right. I think I had a lot to do with trying to figure out who I was. But I think, you know, like any relationship, whether it be platonic or romantic or a friendship or whatever, a bromance, um, <laughs> you know, Stephen... Stephen and our relationship has grown and deepened and, you know, to find an aha moment of when it connected, I think there's many, many, many stars to this constellation. Mm. I think that's a great way to put it. And, you know, I keep thinking of the composers and lyricist um, couple, Barry Mann and Cynthia Vile, if you know them, they're heterosexual, but they have been working together for 50, 60, 70 years writing music together, great hit songs, as you guys probably know, like, you know, um, On Broadway and um, all this, all those songs, um, You've Lost That Loving Feeling, etc. And they are a couple. And so I think that they their coupledom has grown and increased as they've worked. The creativity actually adds layers to yeah. their coupledom. And that's, that sounds like what's happening with you guys. The more you work together, the more you have your, it strengthens your partnership with every show that you work on. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, you know, to be able to fail with my writing partner and my lover and my friend is worth everything when we are trying to succeed. Because who knows you better, right? Exactly. Right. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, let's talk a bit about the future then now. We've talked a bit about all the stuff that you guys have worked on already and that's gotten you to where you are now. Let's talk a bit about what's ahead of you. So do you have any exciting online projects that are coming up? I read something about a new musical about the women that Jack the Ripper killed. That sounds fascinating. Uh, talk to me about some of the projects that you have coming up. Sure. Um, we are still trying to figure out what's happening with on air as far as like a physical production. So we're still kind of looking to uh, theaters in the Pittsburgh area for that. Mm-hmm. Not sure timeline just because theater. So who knows, you know, right now mm-hmm. uh, we are working with Synetic Theater on a piece called White Chapel. Yes, it's about the women that uh, Jack the Ripper killed. So it's kind of telling their stories. Wow. Um instead of really honoring him as much. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's, we've had several workshops of that. 
Uh, and tomorrow night we get to talk to Madonna, one of Madonna's backup dancers. Yes. Oh, you're kidding. So this is on the, on the, the Connor and Smith show. Yes, yes, yes. We have a lot of exciting guests coming up. I know uh, you guys have such a wonderful array of different people that come on. So you've got the podcast going. You've got these these different shows that you're working on. We'll be we'll be watching out for those. It's one is Synetic and the other one um, the, on air that you're you're still working on in Pittsburgh, right? We may or may not be running a Christmas show for holiday show for Creative Cauldron this year. We're not sure what the, if that's going to happen. That that might happen. And I just directed Always Patsy Klein it, that's playing for the next couple of weekends in Cherry Hill Park. Ah, wonderful. That's part of, that's a Creative Cauldron uh, venture as well, right? Outside? Yep. yep. And I cast a different Patsy every weekend. That's what I saw, which is fascinating. And so you have Patsies of many colors and Patsies of, of different backgrounds all uh, approaching this wonderful music. Yeah, and I think after seeing that being cast that way, I I really kind of thought I saw the future of like maybe how things are going to go um, here on out. Oh, it's wonderful. And in this day and age, it's so great that you were able to do that and to do it outside. So for those that want to find out more about that, if, uh, if I, there might be another weekend or so, uh, or just go online on Creative Cauldron's website. I assume it'll be there. Look for Creative Cauldron and always Patsy Klein, And we'll be keeping out, uh, looking out for you guys. Now, if we want to stay updated, we're almost out of time, which is crazy how fast this went. Uh, but if you have any um, anything else that you want to tell us about or, or any, uh, if we want to just stay updated, where can we go? Do you guys have a website, social media? Where do we download the podcast? Tell us all your places where we can find you. Sure thing. You can find us on Facebook uh, under Connor and Smith. Um, you can find our website, www.connor, with an E-R, not an O-R, C-O-N-N-E-R, at uh, connorsmithmusicals.com. And, um, yeah. The podcast uh, the- and the podcast is, is just on, on all the places where you find podcasts? Correct. You can give it Spotify, Apple Podcasts. It's also linked on our website on the main page so you can just go there and click on I think it has an array of like the the 10 latest episodes on the web page fabulous and so people can go and catch up on whatever they might have missed it's all there they can listen to it at their leisure when they're on their walks or or, or relaxing at home you guys this has been fantastic talking to both of you I I I, I feel like there's so much more to talk about um, but I really appreciate your spending the time here uh, today to talk to me on American Theatre Artists Online Absolutely. Thank you for having us. We're so honored. And we, I wish you all the best in all the upcoming fantastic stuff that's coming your way. And I'll be keeping an eye out um, and being sure that I'm in the audience once we can get back in a theater uh, to, to, to see your next show. Thank you so much. Yes, thank you. Thank you. This has been- thank you. <laughs> thank you for listening to the American Theater Artists Online podcast. This episode was edited by Zach Walsh. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider donating to the Actors Fund today. Just go to actorsfund.org and press donate. If you'd like to share your feedback or send us comments, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at American Theatre Artists Online.